Alliance. You're listening to the Your Brain Uncovered podcast show with me, your host, Aya Tarabin. So today we're going to be diving into the nuts and bolts of happiness, and uh, we're going to be looking at the different brain systems involved. Um, yeah, in this, uh, what, well, um, fleeting state that just uh, comes and goes. So yeah, uh, we're going to be uh, looking at different theories and um, from the fields of psychology and neuroscience and then maybe at the end um you can you know choose one that best resonates with you and um use it along your journey of uh you know in your little pursuit of happiness um so yeah happiness is a curve um many psychologists believe that and um you know and i feel like for us to basically understand uh, human happiness we should go all the way back to the legacy of freud um, now, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but Freud was kind of a pessimist and uh, <laughs> he propelled uh, the idea of, of humans even pursuing happiness. You know, he said, and I quote, that one feels inclined to say that the intention that man should be happy is not included in the plan of creation. So, yeah, you know, the ultimate goal of his psychoanalytic psychotherapy was really uh, to just be able to live and not avoid ordinary misery. So, yeah. But now, the reason I mentioned Freud is because he in part reflects the anatomy of the human emotion system, which is that we have both positive and negative systems. Um, And yeah, our negative system is extremely sensitive. So, for example, uh, we're born loving the taste of something sweet and reacting adversely to the taste of something bitter. We um, also find that people are more averse to losing than they are to you know, happy to gain. So yeah, it's it's quite the equation. Um, Happiness is just a learning curve. And um, uh, speaking of our negative system, um, one prominent example is our stress response. You know, Uh, we're wired for danger and uh, especially dangers that are immediate, physical, imminent. And so our body goes into an incredible reaction um, whenever that is around. and we have a system that's very ancient, as mentioned before. And um, so, yeah, uh, like just anytime there's danger around, it's just cortisol floods the brain, it destroys the hippocampal cells and memory, and eventually leads to all kinds of health problems. Um, so, yeah, there, there that goes. And um, But we kind of need this system in part, you know? Um, if we were only governed by pleasure, just think about it. We would really not survive. We really have two command posts, um, and we need both equally. I mean, emotions are short-lived, intense responses to challenge and opportunity, and each one of them allows us to click into alternate selves that tune in, turn on, um, drop out of thoughts, perceptions, even feelings and memories. So yeah, we tend to think of emotions as just feelings, but not really. Emotions are an old system to alert that changes what we remember, what kind of decisions we make, and how we perceive things. So yeah, now let me go uh, forward with the science of happiness. We've come away from the Freudian gloom, and you know, nowadays people are actively studying this. Um, if you've ever uh, listened to the Happiness Lab, um, from it's a really interesting podcast and i'll be putting a link in the uh, show notes it kind of dives into the very fascinating research on uh, the new science of happiness and it's really not as good as you might think um so yeah you know um we always we seem to have this tendency you know as humans we always want to deconstruct things you know just take for instance the word happiness 
it's a very large umbrella term, um, umbrella of a term, kind of. But yeah, and um, you know, um, we we tend to well, we tend to deconstruct it in different ways, and um, I think the best, most prominent thing um, that governs um, you know, the term happiness is uh, us being pleasure seeking. I don't know how to say it. I mean, ba- I don't know. Babies, you know, if you were to just look at us um, from day one. We are really pleasure-seeking creatures. I mean, babies love the taste of sweet and hate the taste of bitter. Um, they like to look at beautiful faces rather than plain ones. Um, they like to listen to consonant melodies instead of like dissonant melodies. Um, yeah, we're innately pleasure-seeking creatures. And um, there was once a statement made by a psychologist that said that you know, 80% of the pursuit of happiness is really just about genes. And uh, it is as difficult to become happier as it is to become taller. Mm, that's nonsense. <laughs> there's a decent contribution to happiness from the genes, about 50%, but there's still that 50% for that is unaccounted for. So yeah, now let's just go into the brain for a moment and see where does happiness uh, arise from in evolution. So we have basically at least two systems and they're both very ancient. One is the reward system, and that's uh, fed by the chemical dopamine. And it starts in the ventral tegmental area, and it goes to the nucleus accumbens all the way up to the prefrontal cortex, orbital frontal cortex, where decisions are made uh, on the high level. So yeah, now this was originally seen as a system that was the pleasure system of the brain. Now in the 1950s, Olds and Milner uh, put electrodes into the brain of a rat, just everyday things, (laughs) and the rat would just keep pressing the or thousands and thousands and thousands of times. It wouldn't eat, it wouldn't sleep, it wouldn't have sex, it wouldn't do anything but press this bar. So they assumed this must be, you know, um, the brain's orgasmatron. Uh, so yeah, I just made that word up. And um, it turns it turned out that it wasn't, that it really is a system of motivation, a system of wanting. It gives objects what's called incentive salience makes something look so attractive that you just have to go after it. Now that's something different from the system that is the pleasure system, which simply says, I like it. So yeah, the pleasure system, as you see, is an internal opiate. It's a, um, there's a hormone known as oxytocin. It's widely spread throughout the brain. So yeah, while the dopamine system, you know, the wanting system is much more centralized. So the other thing about positive emotions is that they have a universal signal, you know, um, such as a smile, um, uh, yeah, you know, those creases under uh, our eyes. So it's quite universal um, when you look at certain like yeah, expressions. Um, but our pleasures themselves, you know, um, they're really ancient and um, we learn, of course, uh, about many many pleasures it's not just about like relationships and stuff take biophilia for example uh, it is um, practically referring to how we have a response to the natural world that's very profound you know very interesting studies done on people recovering from surgery have found that people who faced a brick wall versus people who looked out on trees in nature um kind of uh, recovered not as good so there's a very restorative thing about nature. It's a part of how we are tuned. 
in some way or another. So yeah, and moving on, I'd like to talk about how imitative we are as creatures. I mean, we humans in particular, we we imitate from almost the second we're born. Um, so um, yeah, and that serves as a, a very tremendous, you know, evolutionary advantage. Um, because um, how do I say this? When you're able to imitate what's around you, you're able to grasp both the positive and negative aspect of human nature. Um, one positive aspect I'd like to think of is uh, having a state of flow. So being surrounded with people that are more immersed in such a state helps you to, to sink into one as well. Um, and I do recommend that because you know people are happiest when it flow, when they're absorbed in something, you know, in the world, when they're with other people, when they're active, engaged, focusing on a loved one. Um, they're not just, you know, the happiest people are not sitting in front of a mirror all day trying to figure themselves out or thinking about themselves. These are not the periods when you feel the happiest, is it? Yeah, take a moment, think about it. The other thing is that a piece of evidence is, is if you look at, you know, um, by the way, computerized texts um, that are analyzed of people who committed suicide, um, you find that there's something quite interesting and they're used in the first person. It's like a lot of I, me, my, there's no we and us. And the letters are less hopeless than they are really just alone. And being alone is very unnatural to a human. And because uh, especially since we do have a profound need to belong, I'm always repeating this, but it's very important, especially nowadays. So um, yeah, and by the way, evolution is not all that, you know, uh, loving of us. I mean, there's so many ways that evolutionary history can really trip us up. Um, you know, think about our genes, for instance. They don't really care <laughs> whether we're happy. They care that we replicate, that we pass our genes on. Um, I mentioned this before in my episode, Love is Blind. So, example, um, we have three systems that underlie reproduction because it's so important. There's lust, which is just wanting to have sex, and that's really mediated by the sex hormones. And then there's romantic attraction that gets into the desire system, and that's dopamine fed. Um, so yeah, it goes a little like, I must have this person. Yeah, that's it, pretty much. And there's attachment, which is oxytocin and the opiates, which says um, there's a long-term bond right there, and I'd want to, you know, um, sustain it for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, till death do us apart. <laughs> so yeah. You see the problem here. As humans, we have these three separate systems and we're trying to satisfy them all together at once. Um, so a person can be in a long-term attachment, become romantically infatuated with someone else, and want to have sex with a third person. Yeah, good luck trying to satisfy all of them. So yeah, now the other way uh, in which our genes can sometimes lead us astray is in social status. You know, we're very acutely aware of our social status and we always seek to further increase it. Um, so yeah, now in the animal world, there's uh, only one way to increase status, and that is dominance. You know, um, you see around by physical prowess, and you, know, you keep on beating your chest, you're, you're a tiger at this moment. Now the human <laughs> has a whole other way to rise to the top, and that is uh, the prestige route, which is really comfort. Um, someone has expertise and knowledge and knows how to do things, there it goes, we give that person status. And um, that's clearly the way for us to create many more, you know, um, hierarchies, um, which is really unneeded, is it? So yeah, now, um, 
you know, well, moving on from social status, um, let's look at money. Money, the data, by the way, isn't terribly supportive of money buying happiness. Uh, however, though, it's not, you know, irrelevant. So if you look at questions like um, life satisfaction, you you know where they're asking people about the, their income, and you see that um, see that as you know life satisfaction goes up with income, and you see mental distress going up with lower income. So clearly there is some effect, but the effect is relatively small. And one of the problems with money is materialism. Obviously, what happens when people pursue money too avidly is that they forget about the real basic pleasures of life. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, let's go back to the 1950s, shall we? Um, Maslow has hierarchy of needs. So, um, you know, in his idea dates back as that as people rise above their biological needs, the world becomes safer and we don't have to worry about basic needs being met. Our biological system, whatever motivates us, is being satisfied. So we can rise above them to think beyond ourselves towards self-actualization or transcendence. And uh, I think that income, having a steady income, is um, much needed for you to be able to do that, to rise above the materialist um, and to satisfy those basic needs. So yeah, to a certain degree, it does matter. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so by the way, let me just touch on a brief, some brief data that suggests uh, uh, this might be it. So, um, you know, um, there was a study conducted on people who kind of underwent this thing called a quantum change. So they, uh, aka an epiphany, they felt their life and their whole values have had Know, have changed and so they um came across and looked at how you know men and women kind of differ um men seem to um you know uh more how do i say it drift off they seem to drift off and uh become more um their values more based on like wealth adventure achievement pleasure fun women had a whole different set of value shifts um so theirs kind of centered around attractiveness happiness, self-control, uh, switching on to generosity and forgiveness. So, um, yeah. <laughs> now I'd like to end with a few quotes, okay? Um, I always do that. I don't know why. You always change? Just the format? Just tell me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's, uh, there's only one question, and that is how to love this world. If you are on a, your path trying to seek happiness, ask yourself that on the daily how can i really love this world and if your daily life seems poor don't do not you know blame it um kind of blame yourself tell yourself that you um you are the you know master of your fate captain of your soul i'm not paul coelho trying to be as you can tell <laughs> uh but yeah Anyways, thank you so much for listening to my episode. Feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'll be talking to you very soon. Bye.